Hey folks, Nate here. You're listening to Critical Care, a show about games, community, and the ways we play. This is episode 52, featuring indie writer, developer, and producer Salavir Nelson Jr., creator of An Airport for Aliens Currently Run by Dogs. Enjoy. Hello, my name is Salavir Nelson Jr. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. I am a studio head, narrative director, and creator in general, working in games and beyond. Um, my emphasis is making games better, faster, cheaper, and more sustainably with my collaborators and finding ways to pass on those resources, that knowledge, and that perspective to the wider industry. Yeah, I really like that note about, about working, making games uh, faster because... I know we'll talk about that in a little bit, but certainly one of the kind of defining traits, at least that I associate with you and when I've mentioned you to other people is just the relentless pace with which you seem to put out different projects. Uh, But uh, before we get to kind of talking about all that, I was curious to kind of to to go back a bit and talk a bit kind of how you got into making games because... I remember when when we first met a billion years ago. It feels like um, we did so through you were writing uh, kind of game reviews and and criticism and stuff like that. So we kind of were in a, a similar circle, uh, and it was fun and surprising to me when I when I started noticing your name pop up in a bunch of different uh, game credits that I was playing. I was just like, oh yeah, I know that person. <laughs> I know that person. They <laughs> I used to I used to read their blog, and now they're now they're making games. So. Yeah, I was really interested kind of how that how that transition worked, kind of if that was always kind of the path you expected to take or if you just kind of fell into it. Uh, I'm very thankful that early on I had the perspective that I wanted to find what would keep me in this industry for the next 20, 30, 40 years as opposed to just getting my foot in the door, mm-hmm. um, which is usually the way people phrase it. But... There's not a lot of use getting your foot in the door if you get burned out two years later um, or find yourself rising and rising in a position that you never really wanted to be on in the first place. And then uh, you find yourself like lead sound engineer at the studio and you always wanted to get into writing. Instead, you just like applied to that audio job and just ended up stick staying there mm-hmm. um, and have an existential crisis and lose your mind. That is, of course, a worst case scenario, but there's the idea of being a part of a creative industry in the first place seems to be put ahead of the intention for that career and what keeps you sticking around uh, in a lot of public conversations. So my perspective was, what do I actually love, not about playing games or about even um, being a part of the industry, but about making games? What makes me genuinely excited to wake up in the morning uh, Mm -hmm. to do X thing. And pursuing that course, at first, I thought I wanted to write about games, review them. Then I thought I wanted to write for games. Then I thought I wanted to handle narrative design, pulling in a lot of different elements of a game and working with the team to... uh, tell stories in that way, not just with uh, words or with dialogue per se. And then I realized what I really cared about was making the games release, <laughs> just <laughs> ending our, our, our mutual existential torment and getting the game out the door, which made me um, very passionate about looking into production and business development and business models and ultimately landing where I am now, where I write, I develop games in engine, I'll do level design and creature design and all sorts of other things. But my role is perfectly calibrated to what makes me feel alive and what makes me passionate about the actual process of creation. Um, And I know that some people live out entire careers without finding that. So I'm very, very grateful. Well, yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense uh, hearing you describe it like that. 
the that that your your ultimate goal is is just to to, to release the <laughs> to release the game, uh, which I don't feel is is really something that gets talked about a whole lot, especially not in like indie scenes. Um, obviously, there's a lot of excitement when games get released, but there isn't a whole lot of focus on that being like the the actual goal of getting it out there. It's it's much more just like well, here's the here's a creative vision and the like it'll be done when it's done kind of approach which often means stuff just gets lost uh for for years and years i'm 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 interested how how long did it sort of take for that like how did you arrive at that uh realization that what you really wanted to do was was kind of production and, and management type work uh it, it was an organic process it was just continually following the the challenges perspectives that made me feel most alive when I was doing them. Mm. Um, I love writing a good scene. Uh, I love doing some fantastic narrative design. It's a lot of what I still do now. But let me tell you, listening to someone from an entirely different position in games, animation, audio, etc., talk through a problem and then helping them not just resolve that problem, but do so in a way that furthers the creative vision of the entire project and reinforces for everyone on the team what we're building to make future additions to the game, future contributions, future even brainstorming more efficient, more precise, and more enjoyable for everyone who's building the thing. Less painful, Mm -hmm. because creativity is painful enough that is my passion um and yeah i i ended up pursuing that organically through just finding in every instance the things i cared about most and doing that intentionally yeah the intention intentionality of it is is a really a really nice way to put that it it, it feels like you got you you got very very lucky in, in a way of being able to i guess discern very clearly what what you were actually interested in i know that's something i often struggle with is working in a in a space and trying to figure out what exactly about it is what compels me i don't feel like that's often something that is prioritized uh when people are sort of discussing their work or or how to find work or like how to understand what you want to do being able to have that internal dialogue of actually knowing like this is that this is the part that that interests me and i'm going to pursue this very specific aspect of it rather than like you said just kind of languishing in in a in an industry or a field uh, but not actually finding what you were wanting to do there it's difficult and a lot of it is a practice and there are very precious few resources and I would even say our culture to help us develop that sensibility. Mm -hmm. And I think that that sort of intentional approach to creativity is like equally important, if not more so when applied to a personal perspective, there are people who are like, F the man. Uh, But they're also like, God, I would love to work on a Marvel movie. (laughs) And both of those things can coexist. Dis, dis, despising capitalism while having to live within a capitalist society that is perfectly valid we're all doing it right um but if you have these two warring interests in your mind and in your heart you end up working on the marvel movie and feeling like a sellout or you end up staying on the more independent or perhaps more anti-capitalist uh or anti-corporation side of things and feeling dissatisfied because you want that larger opportunity that is being uh, held out of your reach. And and again, just something I, I developed early was the idea of looking at these contradictions within myself and making intentional choices. You can always change those choices later, but if you never make them in the first place, these often lead to a lot of... Um, double think and unseen turmoil that rests in the heart so like uh, one of the major ones for me is that i am a black man 
working in a creative field in 2021. And the question arises of visibility. If mm -hmm. I choose to be visible uh, in my teams, in my associations, my collaborators, in the way I speak and conduct myself in the world, keeping talks, uh, doing shit posts on Twitter, <laughs> that can result in a certain amount of stability uh, because, you know, people are seeing you, they think of you for jobs, people come to you potentially, that's fantastic. Uh, it can result in being able to uh, receive higher rates and uh, more acclaim for your work. It, it means that you can share uh, that visibility with others and uplift your fellow collaborators. But it also paints a, a giant target on your back. Mm -hmm. And it's on my mind on a regular basis. If I say the wrong thing on Twitter or something that someone considers to be wrong, uh, my family can get doxxed. I can get doxxed. I can be a target if I get swatted. Um, mm -hmm. People who look like me get shot. So taking that full consideration of the factors involved, and even of like my own personality. Do I want to be visible? Do I like being perceived? <laughs> right. Uh, and then making the intentional choice of how much I'm going to be perceived and that I will choose to be perceived because as much as there are risks attached to that and as much as there are legitimate stresses and dangers, um, it allows me to support my family and... Uh, my collaborators in a way that I would never have otherwise. Mm -hmm. I got to make the compromise. That is a, a privilege in itself. And um, whenever I am talking to, especially a, an earlier career dev, this is the first thing I, t I talk about. Mm. It's what are your priorities? What are your conflicting priorities? Can you please make a practice of examining these things and making choices with them regularly because those choices will end up guiding your life for, for better or worse. And when they're made for you, there's almost nothing more demoralizing in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, mean I, can, I can tell that you've, uh, you've really given this a great deal of thought and the, very very enlightening i wanted I, I was hoping yeah to 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 maybe narrow in a bit more on on that on that like advice for for new devs uh because you have you have been working in this for for a while now you've put out a incredible number of games in that in that time worked with a lot of of really incredible collaborators uh I, i'm curious kind of for for people that are like coming in, especially in terms of like people, I guess who might look at at your like ability to get projects out the door to work on a lot of different styles of games to 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 have a bunch of different plates spinning and yet seem to be in control of them. <laughs> I'm I'm flattered that that appears to be <laughs> the that uh, that appears to be the situation. For sure. But yeah, I was I was wondering kind of like your from your position, like how you would advise people who are potentially languishing in, in the way that a lot of, of, of game devs do in terms of projects getting stalled or, or burning out or over being overly ambitious, um just having having uh the inability to get the thing out the door uh to put it to put it simply i guess having having done that a bunch kind of i guess i'm curious what what your advice your observations are in terms of like ways that people often go astray and and how they might correct those i wouldn't so much use the term astray as mm. i i think that a lot of people who feel like they're languishing in that way are confronting the gulf between everything that they imagined that their work and their perspective could become mm. 
mm-hmm. and what the thing currently is, which is a bunch of messy code <laughs> or unordered uh, text documents on your desktop, and you just stare at them, and it's like, uh, is is this ever going to be real? Mm-hmm. There's there is a very real sense in which this is a uh this isn't a result of any person's weakness right it is a result of their ability to see all that it could be in their desire to want to reach it mm. and the the strategy that i use for my own work at least is just preemptively deciding upon ways in which the work will be less. I would rather bring more things into the world than make a perfect magnum opus because nothing is or will be perfect. And when a creator does make something that is perfect, that hits you just right, they often don't know they're making that before <laughs> they release it. Mm-hmm. And then it, it releases. And then in hindsight, we say, oh, yeah, all the signs were there. No. That that's that's almost never how it works. I, as a creator, look at something like an airport for aliens currently run by dogs, and we could have made that entire games cast be three D dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, would it have been more expensive? Yes, but that would have been a cost worth pursuing if that was what was needed to bring that creative intention to life. And it wasn't what the game needed, so we didn't do it. Uh, We embraced that limitation and found how to make that uh, seeming jank actually be a very powerful, versatile, and uh, intentional medium of creative expression. One of the things that no one will tell you about making a stock photo game, pro- probably because I can't think of another stock photo game, <laughs> is because is that when they're in 3D space, you can put things on the side of, of, of 2D planes in 3D space. You can put things beneath 2D things in a 3D space, and you can put them on top of 2D things in a 3D space. We have hats on dogs, elf ears, uh, giant bulbous built bodybuilder muscles and we've got uh, a dog who hat uses a wheelchair mm-hmm. um those are all things on the front bottom or sides of a stock photo but as soon as you put something on top of the stock photo like ears on top of the dog's ears in dog report games example or um a bow tie where the dog's neck is. It looks awful. It's a, <laughs> it's a, it's an abomination <laughs> to God and man. Mm-hmm. And most people looking at a, a game made of, out of out of out of stock photos and and Unity primitives might not realize just how much thought and intention went into the style guide for that game. But I do, and. All of the ways in which it has less, quote unquote, are things that, for the most part, we chose as a team and identified as being places where the game and our vision for it didn't actually benefit from the pain uh, a given feature would cause. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have a day-night cycle in any of the airports. It's because, and you know, if we were the publisher, the publisher might have been like, hey, this is going to be really valuable. You should do this. But the game isn't about that. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, all, there's all these ways in which, um, yeah, my creative process is around saying, what does the game need? And if the game doesn't need it, if the, bo- if the comic doesn't need it, if the book doesn't need it, then we ditch it. And embracing the ways that in which you intentionally throw out even presumed pieces of a convention is not just super liberating, but it means that you can make things faster, cheaper, and in many ways better than uh, anyone would assume is possible. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. That that make that makes me think a lot of how a lot of like the devs that I follow that are like getting started, a lot of them will focus on tools that kind of intentionally impose those limitations on them, stuff like Twine or Bitsy or Ink or just kind of smaller tools that compress the the limits of, of what you can do. So it's almost like those mm. uh, those limitations do become part of the the like voice of the game, but it also means like you have that many fewer choices to make. Uh, so it's it's interesting that that your approach is kind of just developing a way to make those choices yourself as opposed to having it be inferred by the tool. Like I I know if I open like Unity or something, I, I stare at a I stare at an empty void and it's overwhelming and then I close it down <laughs> and nothing happens. Uh so it, it I I'm curious are there are there any like ways that you have developed for being able to like I guess recognize when something is actually needed for the project versus where it's something that is just being informed by all those different voices of what it's assumed you ought to have. Like like you mentioned the day night cycle. Like a lot of people might be making a game. It's like, oh yeah, of course you have to have a day night cycle. It's 2021. Like every game has this. Um, I'm curious if you have like any particular ways you've managed to disentangle all of those like kind of competing ideas about what a game actually needs from what is just kind of the expectation. I would say that the first thing that jumps to mind is um, we make a lot of choices in, in Strange Scaffold as a studio based off of joy. Again, the process of creation and of finishing something <laughs> is painful and difficult, mm -hmm. but there isn't a really a need to wallow in it. We can, in fact, have processes that prioritize joy and improvisation and efficiency without compromising the integrity of a creative work. Um, having a good time making something doesn't mean that it's less valid than if you were sweating blood and tears and <laughs> various eldritch juices all over your keyboard. So um, aside from an inbuilt <laughs> uh, sense, which I seem to have by the grace of God, of what a given creative work needs to be its best self while also you know, saving time and money and human pain, um, a big thing that I, I recommend to other people is look at what you actually want to be doing. If you love making environments, but you hate creating character AI, <laughs> uh, actually, I would say the best, the best comparison for this is like, if you love making the types of music and beats and rhythms that you would hear in a 3d platformer like uh mario uh, like super mario galaxy or any of the 3d mario games or mm -hmm. any of the 3d sonic games or the donkey kong i think that was, was one of the donkey kongs was 3d right uh yeah donkey kong 64 yeah if you look at something like donkey kong 64 or banjo kazooie and go like god i want to make something that sounds like that, but you don't like building levels, which is 90% of a 3D platformer, you're going to have a hellish time. Mm -hmm. If you love designing guns and how they work and how a player interacts with a weapon, a firearm in particular, but you don't like making enemies, it could be a suggestion for a route to take. What allows you to make a game which is 
about interacting with a firearm or that has the rhythms and sounds and reactivity of a 3D platformer but doesn't include all of the parts of this thing that you hate and that you would need to build to be the thing that you've seen before. That is such a freeing thing to consider because as soon as you look honestly at your strengths and your weaknesses and the things that would bring your you and your collaborators joy as well as what a work needs to be its best self you realize that you can find angles to create something that you never would before the reason el paso elsewhere which is one of our upcoming titles it's a supernatural uh third person shooter throwback to titles like max Payne and die hard trilogy about being a reluctant black monster hunter uh, fighting werewolves, vampires, and other dark creatures of the night in a dimension-shifting motel. The entire reason you fight monsters is because I was designing this game, which I wanted to be a spiritual successor to Max Payne, and every time it came to what do you fight, I would draw a blank. Because you have a guy with a gun? Maybe you have a guy with a baseball bat? Uh, what if they have armor? Riot shield. Riot shields are a thing. Uh, you have to attack them from from the back. Uh, I could put a little helmet on it and it blocks a headshot. Like there's, I was looking at like how much of the game, especially since I'm not really a code type person, I wouldn't actually be designing or doing anything interesting it would just be up to my collaborators to like just make a dude with a gun and have that be fun at some Mm -hmm. point uh and then i realized if there's anything that sums up simple but expressive behaviors that you understand at a glance it is monsters we know vampires are ravenous werewolves can pounce on you uh horrific uh frankenstein abominations are very large and they block your shots, and they're slow, and they hit like a truck. Suddenly, realizing I didn't want to make just enemies that were guys with guns, because what would I have to do? I'm supposed to be the designer of this game, and like 90% is like (laughs) dudes you fight. Um, Pursuing that path allowed me to find the unique angle for what how our game not only differentiates itself from the past, but becomes a really enticing model for the future both for our studio as well as like for like what's possible in that retro third person shooter space uh, now that we're looking at it in the modern uh light of day so yeah long story short you want to find how to make the ideal version of your thing within your resources look for what you actually love to do and the what pieces of the thing actually bring you joy in the terms of creating them and think about ways that you can eliminate the pieces that don't matter i love that so much about instead of just looking at what you like kind of reading or watching or playing or listening to it's what do you actually enjoy making because it seems it's so easy to get to start conflating those two of like, oh, I really like, uh, I don't know, Ocarina of Time, and so I'm going to make this game. Uh, and then you just have a billion people making the same game, uh, and they, they don't actually know why or, or what's, what they want to do with it. Uh, so yeah, I love, I love the, the notion of, of disentangling what you like from what you like creating, because those are those can be so radically different uh and it's definitely something i see so many people doing of just mashing them together and hoping that they'll they'll come out the other side having figured out uh that they actually do like this thing that they know they don't like um and and it's and it's a tragedy right cuz like mm-hmm. you can look at the thing and love the thing and want to make something that makes you feel the same mhm but yeah, realize just how much you um, struggle with the actual processes of everything outside of like the one specific thing that you actually wanted to, to do. Like if you loved 
Majora's Mask. But the part you actually loved about Majora's Mask is the way that people's schedules would change throughout a day. And that was like the one piece that you loved. You can sign up, be signing up for like a four year stint making a game, suffering through a lot of it for the 10% that you actually care about. Uh, I think about that a lot. I've I've gone through that before. I've made this mistake, and I mm-hmm. speak from experience, begging those <laughs> listening, don't opt into a process or a product that is going to force you to build things you hate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have I have absolutely done that as well too many times of just. Yeah, it 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 sucks because you you don't realize it until you're on the other side. And you're just like, ah, oh, yeah, it's only like regardless of what what I made, th- that sucked. I don't want to do that again. Uh, it's not it's not a great feeling to come out of a project from. Um, so we'll definitely be be practicing that more in, in my own work as as well. Because uh, it's it's just a, a a good a good note, but one that yeah, I constantly have to have to repeat to myself. Uh, so you mentioned an airport for aliens currently run by dogs earlier in the conversation. And as that's the most recent game of yours I've played, I, I wanted to, to speak on it a little bit more. Uh, I guess for people who, who haven't seen it or who haven't played it or haven't just discerned what it is from the title, uh, it kind of is is what it says on the 10 to a, to a degree. Um, this is a game where you are in a futuristic airport uh full of stock photo dogs who want various things from you uh and you you navigate between different airports uh meeting up with your your partner and hearing a whole whole ton of 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 dog puns probably every dog pun anyone has has ever thought of is is represented in this game (laughs) it's 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 very it's very goofy but also uh, one of the things that really surprised me, uh, especially talking with some people after playing it and kind of unraveling some of the the threads that you kind of maybe gloss over when you're playing the game because you're you're just looking at the dogs and and laughing at the dialogue uh, is kind of some of the like more the darker sort of existential, uh maybe even like cosmically horrific element of the of the story that uh can, can definitely sneak up on you a bit but i think our our big part of why the game has such a unique tone and has really lingered with me even as i have kind of struggled to really put my feelings about it into any sort of like clear clear thesis uh, i'm still wrestling with a lot of the different sort of contradicting feelings I had playing it. Um, so I was, I, I wanted to ask a bit about, I guess that, that contradiction. Um, both, I guess if it's, if it's one that, that you perceive, perceive, uh, it, and also if it's, it was kind of something that you set out making the game in mind, or if those, uh, darker elements kind of came in later in development, kind of went, what the i guess tonal evolution of this of this airport game was like when we put together the steam developer page for strange scaffold i promise this is going somewhere (laughs) uh we had to put together a mission statement for 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 the for us as like a studio slash publisher which is a bit of a weird thing to consider Mm-hmm. Um, especially since I just visited the Bethesda publisher page and they didn't have to, have to list that crap. Mm. They didn't have to existentially gaze into their hearts and figure <laughs> out who they were. You don't want to dip, gaze into the heart of Bethesda. There's nothing There's nothing good in there. I wouldn't quite say that, but I do know that <laughs> them and I just checked Warner Brothers games. Warner Brothers didn't have to look. Okay. Anywho, Steam told me <laughs> that I had to have a mission statement that summed up who I was mm. as a human being. Um, no pressure. 
And the word thing that I came to was developing games that you wouldn't expect to exist with intentional, weird, and nuanced constraints. I adore the recent trend of wholesome games and absurdist games and of unabashed points of light that are coming into the games industry now. It is easy to forget, especially with a lot of the discourse that comes around wholesome games, how there was a time where being a wholesome game was controversial, where we didn't have like 20 coming out in a, a given financial quarter mm. to use a, you know, very capitalist term. <laughs> I don't know how else to, to say it. I, I don't want to have to say financial quarter and normal conversation with someone like that isn't something that a human being does. That's how you figure out that, that the person is an alien or a robot. Are you trying to tell me something? It's 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 called environmental storytelling, and I'm leaving <laughs> you to figure out your own conclusion. But the idea of what is what it means to be a a wholesome game or a game that brings people joy is something we're actively exploring on a very regular basis now, which makes me delighted. And I'd say a big reason for my work existing is that I want to explore those intersections. Mm -hmm. I think that unabashed joy is both necessary and possible. I also think that accompanying pretty much all of our positive emotions is an awareness of mortality and sadness and of all of the contrasts that we have as human beings. So when I'm making something like an airport aliens currently run by dogs, I could just make a bunch of dog puns. And I do make a lot of dog puns. Mm -hmm. But I also touch on like feelings that I had when I lost my healthcare and how in a perfect universe, a, a universe that inherently cares about you because it's run by dogs, dogs find it abominable that you would need to pay to live. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you save at the doctor and you say like, hey, wh wh what do I owe you? And they really, he was like, for, for helping you? I'm a doctor, not a monster. And it's just like, that's the thesis statement right there. Um, the idea that our joy is accompanied by aware an awareness of everything that is also not joy is uh, something that runs through a lot of my work. I have comedy in pretty much or elements of comedy in pretty much everything I work on, no matter how horrifying it is, because if I can get you to laugh, I can get you to feel pretty much anything. And experiencing the whole spectrum of emotion, whether it's in an, a universe of uh, airports run by dogs or in a body horror market economy, um, <laughs> It's it's my passion, and I I'm deeply grateful that I, I I get to explore these things with all of their shades of nuance. So I'm interested to explore that to to go down that road a little bit more with with airport game, both well, mostly just for my own edification because I, mm. I I am still kind of picking some stuff about. So like the. One of the interesting notes that came up when I was talking to people about this game was how it both is like a utopian society, but is there's still some limit, it seems, like to the to the extent to which this this universe run by dogs uh can can fully function. I mean I guess maybe probably the most Explicit one is with the uh, the puppies who drive yeah. ride the planes uh, and have to get drunk to forget about the horrors uh, they witness while doing so. They're so small and space is so big. Mm -hmm. They weren't meant to witness these cosmic sights. It's true. So I'm curious, kind of how that how that fits into your 
I guess, game making philosophy to maybe be grand about it. Um, about kind of like the the awareness of all of the bad things being being baked into the, the overcoming said things like healthcare being free and recognizing that that it should be free uh based on uh by explicitly calling out the the alternative um i'm i'm curious how that fits in with if some of the darker elements that that maybe do not inherently seem to the the thing that came to mind was kind of the um Ursula K Le Guin like philosophy of like oh here's this perfect utopia but there's there's one child who walk suffering. away from all malice. Yes, there it is. Yeah, I always I always forget the title. Um, and certainly that that came to mind when I when I was getting into the dog airport game. It was just like, oh, these these puppies having a horrific time. Um, but I feel like there's probably there's probably more more going on there. So I was curious if you uh, wanted to dig into that a little bit. Yeah, I th- I think. So I, I think it is worth saying that I, I, I don't believe in the common cynical adage that like suffering is necessary for joy. No, fuck mm-hmm. you. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I don't know if I'm supposed to hey, on this podcast. No, you're good. Go for it. But the the idea of the ones who walk away from Omelas, that being a given for joy to exist, I think is um, not true. Uh it is also something that doesn't like, frankly, like match my, my faith as, as, as a Christian. I don't believe that the, that a sacrifice must be made over and over again to save. And when I look at a world like an airport family is currently run by dogs, uh, how it, are spoilers okay? Yeah, I mean, I already spoiled like one of the major <laughs> aspects of it uh yeah when I, when I look at a universe like um an airport for aliens currently run by dogs the fact that we have this idea of puppies at a unseen academy somewhere in the galaxy learning to become pilots and then taking on the burden of of, of being pilots sitting in, in in the driver's seat for the planes to operate and seeing cosmic sights and being very drunk and then retiring and they're still like they're just at the end of their puppyhood and they're like it's like they came away from like Vietnam it's mm-hmm. like I'm too old but I've seen too much that whole thread um, well first of all it exists because it, it makes me laugh I think it's funny <laughs> that's horrible and I'm sorry I find that that entire thread uh, of thought very interesting um and uh it will never not be funny riding a drunk dog Mm -hmm. alongside that i do think it's interesting just how much it says about the society of that world Mm -hmm. the degree to which the dogs are opting into this so when you interact with a lot of the dogs especially if you have met all of the the plain dogs you learn that there are still alien artifacts being found across the galaxy, new airports, new regions, new technology, which the dogs are understanding and coming into contact with. But they're also just also partially by virtue of being dogs, they are trying to find their own relationship with these elements of the world. If a dog is having a bad time, a part of it, uh, especially in this game, is that it could be that they're having an existential crisis, but it also could be that they are partially playing into a role. Um, we have this concept in the in the game of these stores called Orb. Mm-hmm. Orb is. Uh, and there is uh, Orbo, the dog who gives you Orb. Um, and the Orb is an anomaly. It is an existential um, void. Uh, a nightmarish thing that you hold in your hand. We also have the concept in the world of these cell phone stores that they have as their mascot a banana instead of an apple. 
And the reason is because the founders of that store got really into Orb, managed to escape that psychic construct, <laughs> and then claimed, and the first thing that their sanity was able to grapple onto, this, like, a banana they happened to see. They were like, yep, this, this is going to be our new mascot. Uh, this is going to be our psychological anchor uh, for what is real and what is not. It's weird and a little bit ambiguous and complicated to explain, but this idea that the dogs are continually, partially because they are mirroring the psychology of those who have gone before, human beings and aliens, they're trying to find their place in the world. So sometimes they are mimicking uh, overwork. Sometimes they are mimicking suffering. Sometimes they are opting into patterns that have been established from dog logic of even trying to understand, much like a dog looking at its owner, why would someone do this if it doesn't make them happy? Hmm. So when you see, when you talk to the boss cat and you're learning that there is this, that, that he is the, the, the source uh, for the uh, special juice that the uh, pilot dogs drink. And the reason that he provides this is because they are following patterns that they are compelled to follow. I think it is a really also a good expression of like what the game is communicating about even how we feel about professions, about creativity, about art. There are people who are mimicking the patterns of an alcoholic piece of shit writer because that is the character that they have seen on TV. That is perhaps people that they've known in their lives. That is the way to do it. And as much as we question that tragedy, and as much as it, I think it is necessary to fight it, the World of Dog Airport game is also very empathetic to the idea of people following those in the first place, because we understand why. Hmm. That's, that's very interesting. Yeah, the the degree to which the game is, uh, and this is something that talked at length about uh trying to unwrangle this game the the degree to which it mirrors uh almost arguably to a detrimental degree like the experience of being in an airport or <laughs> or just being lost shopping at the same uh the same coffee shop that you you passed in every in every airport like the the ways it both is making making a, a satire of of these sort of structures and, and mechanics uh through having them all be full of dogs who kind of understand what they're doing and kind of don't um but then are also obviously that's still it's still an airport uh still like kind of commerce driven uh, it is a yeah the 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 framing it as these dogs are kind of just fell into this and are, are now trying to, to figure out like, okay, what is this even for? What, why, why is this here? Is a really interesting kind of approach to take. Uh, not necessarily what I, I immediately picked up on, but I, I, I like it. It's it, it, and, and, and I, and I think you nailed it when you compared it to the experience of being in an airport itself. There's a lot about being in an airport that is objectively awful. It's mm -hmm. not a great experience. <laughs> they are in human places that are also deeply human. Mm -hmm. But the game understands and even respects slash cares about slash loves the, loves the representation of that and mm -hmm. understands the psychology and spirit of it. We simulate the airports to the point that you can play the entire game in real time. You can get your ticket and sit down on uh, on a bench or overlook a uh, beautiful piece of scenery and wait for three hours until your boarding gate time arrives and then bring in your passport and then board the flight. 
I cannot tell you just how much our lives would have been easier if we didn't do that. <laughs> but the reason that we do fulfill that piece of the airport is because of, at least for me as the creative director, a deep respect and understanding for how much that particular ideal, the platonic ideal of the space is in you. I know people who love airports. Mm -hmm. I, I'm one of them. They're also broken people. <laughs> and they know that they're broken. And they, and they have their routines. They have their way of seeing the world. And representing with respect a perspective and way of seeing the world, even if there's not necessarily an endorsement of it. The appreciation, mm -hmm. but not the, the, the heedless uh, rush onward is a good way of expressing a lot of my work. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's something, I, it's something I still think about because it's... I traveled a lot before the pandemic and I haven't gotten on an airplane since and having made this entire game across a pandemic in which I could not travel in an airplane anymore. It's strange the amount of reluctance I have to go back. Like this place that I had found a grudging respect and common ground with will no longer welcome me. Hmm. Uh, it's weird. I'm not going to say that it, it, it can be justified, <laughs> but it is something that concerns me and that I am trying to be introspective, if only because uh, I currently can't afford therapy. <laughs> I, I, I am deeply trying to examine and reckon with and find how um find what that suggests for the projects i'm working on and also the way that i relate to myself as a human being hmm. yeah that's very very well said plus the last note i want to get on before we we close out because we're running up on time is you did mention uh the fact that you could just lean over an edge or sit on a bench and and wait for your your airport uh, or your not your airport your your plane to arrive uh, and that's absolutely something that uh, I found myself doing. Of just like, yep, I'm just gonna sit here in front of this clock. Uh, I'll pull out my phone. I'll scroll Twitter for a bit, and it's just like it took it took me a minute to be just like, what what am I what am I doing? <laughs> I'm I've uh, I I have. I have fully assimilated into the into the the digital airport experience. It was I, that was I, the point at which we realized that the game was working. To be honest, um, when in our like Patreon um, early builds period, mm -hmm. when we would put out one version of the airport and then do the next update, and we would look at some of the gameplay that we were getting back from you know our patrons. And see that people who had been playing for the first time versus people who had played even a single version of the game before and existed in an airport even once had fundamentally different relationships to the space. Marinara Trench is one of the first airports you go to. Mm -hmm. And people who had been there before versus people who were there for the first time navigated the space, moved their cursors in entirely different ways than each other mm. if they had even been in the airport once before and as soon as i saw that that was happening that was the point at which i personally was like yeah this game is going to work <laughs> because you were becoming a traveler mm -hmm. even if you didn't like the process of being in that airport you had understood it mm -hmm. and that understanding is um something I'm always trying to achieve in some way or another. Yeah, it's a it's a very a very unusual but interesting kind of thing to to experience in a game of something being both compelling and and miserable in in a in, the, in a way uh for how well it represents 
uh what it's trying to to achieve it's yeah it's it's it is certainly affecting. I, I I don't know that I love airports uh, any more or less uh, than I did when I before I started playing the game. But I certainly am now thinking about them way more than I expected to. So I it, it certainly worked on me in in some weird, possibly cursed way. Um, but in any case, uh, to avoid spiraling into any more any more cosmic questions uh, that might come to me. Uh, where where can people find you and your work uh, online? What where would you like to point them to if they want to check out your games or see your ship posts or anything else you might have going on? We've got a Patreon where you can uh, get your dog or cat or uh, in some cases custom uh, event or piece of content into one of our games. You can also get early builds as they're ready. The people who are in our Patreon are currently playing the. Uh, beta of Space World Organ Trading Simulator. So that's patreon.com slash strange scaffold. You can also see cool secrets there uh, long before other folks as we are trying to make better, faster, cheaper, and more healthy games uh, on the behalf of the industry as a whole. You can also find me on Twitter at at W-R-I-T Nelson, at Rit Nelson. And, um, I guess if you uh, really wanted to summon me, um, there is a crossroads near your home. You know where it is. Uh, and in it, you will find a blackened branch. You must draw a series of concentric circles and wait in the center. At midnight, I will meet you there. Good luck. Yep. I mean, there you have it. You're... That's a, I, I take no responsibility for anything that might happen uh, following these instructions. I should just put that one out there. Uh, you're on your own from this point. Uh, but before, before leaving... Uh, good old liability clause. The thing yeah. you love to hear in any podcast. Yeah, you know, I, gotta, I can't afford to be sued right now. It's, it's not going to happen. Um, None uh, of us can. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before leaving people to... Uh, to start committing uh eldritch uh crimes uh i rituals rituals crimes i think i think crimes is is putting it a bit strongly Mm. (laughs) well we'll we'll see how we'll see how they pan out uh but in any case i like to close the show out by asking whoever i have on to share something they've found inspiring or hopeful recently uh just something nice uh that they've they like uh whether that's something they've played or watched or seen or just something that happened in their life that they they want to share is like a nice story Uh, i think it's it's nice to remember that there are good things happening um so if you have something you would like to share uh that'd be awesome um something that's been very personally inspiring to me lately is the increasing accessibility of media i even even as far back as like 10 years ago i remember how difficult it was to find movies from the 70s and 60s and the 50s um we're getting a proliferation of streaming services uh it's there are degrees in which it is awful but i also remember just how much as a kid who did not come from money or have money and also wanted to be like ethical. So like I I felt uncomfortable with anything like pirating. Mm -hmm. I found it very difficult to get materials that I could use for creative inspiration at times, or it would be years, uh, literal years of me waiting for something to arrive on Netflix, not understanding, you know, uh, trivialities like, um, company license agreements or why certain things wouldn't be on public channels and access. So the degree to which more and more things are getting digitized, the degree to which Game Pass allows the designers of the future to be playing dozens 
of new and old games. And those developers are getting compensated and those players are getting things that they can use for their future and current creativity. It's making me really happy um, because it is that synth the one thing that human beings do without self-destruction <laughs> is art. We look at the art that has been created before and we use it for inspiration now and we keep transmogrifying it and returning and departing over and over again in these fascinating cycles. But for those cycles to exist, you need to have access. September 30th, Crimson Tide, Sleepless in Seattle, the 90s Lost in Space movie, a bunch of Star Trek movies, and the Love Guru starring Mike Myers from the <laughs> mid-2000s was all added to Hulu among other movies. At least one of those things is going to inspire people in some fundamental way. And also, as broadband speeds increase, let's be honest, piracy gets easier. And that's going to inspire people, too, to make their own art. I'm, I don't particularly have a, a very cogent point to make here, but I'm just, <laughs> I'm just really excited about the idea of people watching The Love Guru starring Mike Myers, but also <laughs> the idea that more so than when I was a kid, there are a growing proliferation of convenient ways to be exposed to art across time and space. Um, and I can't wait to see how that affects our creative future, because I think that is one of the things that is going to save us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an incredibly exciting uh, time to be enjoying art uh, in any in any format. I I I. I talk to a lot of people who uh maybe lament the size of their their list of things that they'll never get to and it's just like well there are there are much worse things to problems to have than too many exciting things to watch and listen to and, and read and play and i don't know consume for <laughs> to be to use the worst uh word uh out there yeah we must consume the content uh appease the content gods yeah but it's 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 incredible the i was just today poking around the uh, flashpoint preservation project and just digging through thousands and thousands of old, like flash games and and other sort of like uh previously lost pieces of 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 digital like internet art and it's just it's an incredible thing that just exists and you can just see it and, and experience it and yeah there's just such a r ridiculous amount of of things out there uh that pretty much anyone uh with with a internet connection uh which i know isn't isn't everyone but is is an increasingly large number of people um can just can just find and yeah it's 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 really cool, <laughs> and I am making I am making lots of use of it because uh, it's certainly one of the big things keeping me going. But to Finding stuff, yeah, to to keep to keep from rambling uh, about how exciting it is about how much art there is, uh, I will close things out now. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. It's been super exciting hearing all about your processes and about Airport Dog and all sorts of other things. I uh, wish you luck at the crossroads with whoever might be summoning you. Uh, and of course with the, the many, many, uh, I guess, I don't know if you, you wanted to shout out. I don't know all of your projects coming out now. I know uh, El Paso and, and the uh, space Oregon simulator. I don't know if there were any particular projects you wanted to shout out that I should keep an eye on. An airport for aliens can run by dogs available now. Skatebird which I was the narrative director, uh, available now, a bunch of places. Uh, Space Wallet Organ Training Simulator, coming this winter 2021. It's going to be on Game Pass Day 1. Uh, and you can wish, that on, wish list that on Steam now and El Paso elsewhere. You can find 
uh, on Steam and Wishlisted. That's coming out late 2022. And finally, we recently had yet another release, a big, stompy, uh, anti-war, anti-military-industrial complex uh, mech game about delivering supplies uh, on an eternal lunar war zone uh, and freeing yourself of your metal shackles so you can kill the moon. <laughs> Call Can Android Survive. It's on itch.io now. We just released it, and you can uh, also get it on other platforms early 2022. Very, very soon. Awesome. Yeah, that's very high up on my on my to playlist. I reading a little bit about it. it sounds incredible. Um, so yeah so so many so, uh, again to all, of all the cool artwork art that's coming out there there is a significant amount of it that uh you are responsible for so yeah i, I it's it's a very cool time uh but yeah thanks again for coming on and yeah we'll talk to you some other time talk to you soon thank you so much once again have a great day Critical Care is produced by me, Nate Kiernan, with music by Desired. You can find Desired on Bandcamp at desired.bandcamp.com. I'm on Twitter at Nate Kiernan, and you can keep up with everything critical related at critical.com. If you'd like to help keep the lights on, you can support the show on Coffee. And until next time, stay safe, stay home, and remember, this is not game over. We're still fighting and we're going to get through this.